You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Broken records. The albums you wouldn't shut up about. Broken records. The music our guests can't live without. Like Judy, Barbara, Liza, Bette, Betty, Audra, Bernadette. We broadcast this podcast with hopes that someday we might get Patty LaPone. Broken record, broken record, broken record, broken record, broken record. Welcome to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. I'm Ben Rimmelauer, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Daniel Nolan. Hey, y'all. Today's guest is the playwright, composer, and lyricist of Playwrights Horizon's recent musical, A Strange Loop, Michael R. Jackson. A Strange Loop was one of the most talked about shows of the last couple of years, and for my money, it's the best new musical since Hamilton. Michael R. Jackson's A Strange Loop is a musical about a black queer man writing a musical about a black queer man who's writing a musical about a black queer man. Like a circle in a spiral, like like a a wheel within a wheel. That's why you wanted another take. No, give her another take. Jackson also wrote book, music, and lyrics for White Girl in Danger. He's an alum of the Johnny Mercer Writers Colony and the Ars Nova Uncharted Writers Group and has won just about every award an emerging musical theater can win, Mm -hmm. including the 2019 Whiting Award, a 2017 Jonathan Larson Grant, the Lincoln Center Emerging Artists Award, the ASCAP Foundation Harold Adamson Award, the Dramatist Guild Fellowship, and the list goes on and on. Michael R. Jackson is the talent to watch. And deservedly so. Michael's coming in to chat about Tori Amos' 1994 album, Under the Pink. Oh, so major for me in my youth. Your remote youth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you know any good Carol Channing stories? I wish you all could see Daniel's face. It's like he's going about his day being like, it's 1130 at night, so probably, it's midnight, it's midnight. Probably from when he woke this morning till when he goes to sleep tonight, he's probably heard the last time he's going to hear me do Carol Channing for the day. He really thought it was like smooth sail until bedtime. And then he sees that twinkle in my eye. Twinkle. And you just know what that twinkle means, don't you, honey dear? That that Carol, that that CCT. I don't know, Ben. I don't have any Carol Channing stories, but do you? Um, I mean, where to start? I don't know. I guess my favorite personal Carol Channing story, it's not the core, I'm not about the corn thing. 
The listeners are dying to know. No, if you guys want to hear a great Carol Channing story, you should get Andrea McArdle's album, 70s and Sunny. It may be on a different Andrea McArdle album, but I think it's on that <laughs> one. It's a live album, and she tells the story, and it's really great, and I won't ruin it except to say... It's a really good show. She does uh, say that thing Seth Rudetsky deconstructed how Carol Channing calls her Andrea. <laughs> and if there ever were an Andrea, it's Miss McArdle. I mean, that's also very Miranda Priestly, Andrea. <laughs> it's different when she do it. But mm-hmm. now that you bring it up, Carol Channing would have been a great Miranda Priestly. No, she would not have. She would have been She's ideal. She would have been much better than Meryl Streep. No. Oh. Much, much better. You're alienating the listener, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> who, but truly, for real and for true, who could play Meryl, uh, hmm. who could play Miranda Priestly? Okay, let's think. Not we, Christine Brandt. We want a woman of a certain age I mean, I lo- I would, with a powerful acting and singing presence to impose authority and her will over the entire community uh, gathered there. I see what you're doing. I who see do you think? Doing. I don't know. I'm just I trying to think. I see what you're doing. Who has the... Vocal uh, edge. Yeah. Who has the power? Who has the sophistication and the shade? I can't think of I anyone. See what you're doing. Can you're you think of anyone? Pushing your own agenda on the pod. I have no agenda. I'm just trying to and problem solve. That's what I do. I'm a fixer. Yeah. I'm not here to advance the career of any one particular Broadway actress yeah. more than any other. Yeah. So I think as a pod, we can get behind Bernadette. Well, she will certainly look good. <laughs> Actually, but um, no, but it's funny because Bernadette literally played a character based on Anna Winter on Ugly Betty. Cool. And I believe was nominated, it gives me no pleasure to tell you, for a M- Emmy. Yeah. For an, I couldn't say it, for an, Bernadette was nominated for a Emmy. Patty's been nominated too, but not for Ugly Betty. Patty's performance in Ugly Betty did not earn <laughs> such a nomination. No, it wasn't fair. She had to play like a oh, like closeted, like the mom of the closeted guy. Like the not he wasn't closeted. It was Michael Urie, but who was wonderful on that show. Uh-huh. But no, but his his mom was like this like mean conservative, but not in a fun way. Like she is. Imagine her character on Pose, but like not fun and fabulous. Like sad and mean and like unaccepting. How did we get here? Carol Channing would be Carol. ideal, but so would Patty. So what about um... Vanessa Williams? Yes. But who, by the way, on, the nose. on Ugly Betty, I know, Vanessa Williams I know. was on the nose. one of the best television diva. I'll say it. I'm Vanessa, we would love you to be on the, the show. Record. I want to say that your performance um, on Ugly Betty was, as Wilhelmina Slater was better than Joan Collins' performance as Alexis Carrington wow. Colby Dexter. Could not be more excited to be here with the current it boy of Broadway yes. musicals, Michael R. Jackson, the living Michael Jackson in the flesh. Right. Hey, hello. How y'all doing? We're good. We've been so listening to the past album of Strange Loop. Oh, great! We're so so excited. Oh my god! Like Thank trying you. to get my Dropbox to like load on the train, like trying to get into track <laughs> of track it was like. <laughs> It was like a, you know, it was an adventure. And so, like, on the way here, I was just, like, in heaven listening Aww. to it. It's so brilliant. 
Thank you, thank you. Daniel didn't see it. He's only heard all I know. To be transparent, I did not see it, but, like, now that the cast album is out, I am just... Well, you can watch it at Lincoln Center if you like. Yes. Oh, really? That's yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to see it tomorrow because <gasps> I didn't. I wasn't there the day they did that recording, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm just curious to see. Were you at all the other performances? No, but I would often come to like the curtain or whatever, yeah, yeah. and I wanted to go to that performance just to see what it was like. But I got the dates wrong, so I missed it. I feel that's very like Jerry Herman, like in Angela Lansbury's dressing room, kind of like just coming for the curtain. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> Pretty much. Pretty, Pretty much. much. That's so good totally to know. Gary Herman, that's me. Right. <laughs> well, of another, of another iteration, yeah, yeah. you know, an evolution of the, the journey. But I will definitely go to Lincoln Center and watch it, because I, yeah, yeah. I have done that before, so. Yeah, it's fun to do it and stuff there. Even after, I was trying to pun Michael for Broadway Broadway transfer gossip as we walked over. Yes. I have no news for you. I wish I did, but I had nothing. I got a big fat nothing mm. news. Are, are there other things going on with it, like, um, aside from Broadway and other production or anything in the works for the Um, end? nothing, nothing at this point. It, it's all, it's all a question mark. Mm-hmm. It's all... Sure. Well, that's the big, the big, yeah. the big fish. Well, and you have the Joe's Pub concert coming right. up. That'll be passed. Oh, the wonderful. Is, is out, but, yeah. but lucky for all the people that went... <laughs> Well, you know, like I said, I was listening to it. I've been listening to it the last two days. And um, on the way here, I was like, this has to have another life somewhere because more people have to see this. You know? I think it will. It's just, it's a, just a question of where and yes. how soon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, it's very exciting. And that was a fast turnaround for the cast recording. Yeah, I was like quite shocked by that because I just assumed that especially for, like, an off-Broadway musical, that mm-hmm. it would just take, like, 17 years. Right, right. <laughs> and then, no, they were like, let's do it, like, right, like, the day after we close, like, let's go in the studio. Oh, wow. like, we, like, it happened, like, extremely, extremely quickly. We, like, did a lot of prep for it. I had to make sure the lyrics were right to go on the liner notes. Like, it was just a lot. Of, I had to write the liner sure. notes. It was just a lot of stuff had to happen, like, very quickly. I feel like people don't know wouldn't imagine the amount of prep that as the writer you would do for a cast album recording mm-hmm. session. Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah, we had to make sure that we, because we had to do some edits to make sure that it was 60 minutes or less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I had, to, and like, and some of the songs are quite dialogue heavy, so like I had to like make yeah. a lot of choices mm-hmm. about that sort of thing. The version that generations of children will, <coughs> will memorize listening to the album. Totally, yes, totally. Yes. Now, you've recorded stuff before, like demos, and you actually have an album out. Yeah, I have an LP, an EP and an LP that I recorded a couple of years ago. One is called Dirty Laundry, and one's called Good Clean Music. And what, what was the recording process for you like comparatively now to have a label behind you and that kind of like um, well, support? To sort of put in perspective, we were able to record the band and the vocals and the and then like come together like edits for the cast album in essentially in like a couple of weeks. It took me six years to like <laughs> get the tracks out on my own for the album. Oh Partly my God. because I was like there was just a lot I didn't know about recording mm-hmm. and like and it was just and money kept I kept running out of money and like the time and like trying to get singers in in the studio and then finding time mm-hmm. to work with my producer and then like finding time to edit and like adding things and starting over and like just there were so many elements to that so mm-hmm. and then I would get like afraid so then I would like not talk to him for like 
months at a time. <laughs> just to avoid. I just didn't want to think about it. Yeah. And then he would hit me up and be like, we need to finish this at some point. You know? So, right. like, we finally did. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot. Well, this is quite quite the opposite. Yeah. And so, okay, well, let's talk about, you know, we we, we were talking about your inspiration, um, your your passion for Tori Amos under the yes. pink. Yes, um, yes, yes. Very important album for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. for me as well. I was, wh- Why would you... I always thought... Um, this is so weird to say, but I feel like I was gratified that you chose Under the Pink mm-hmm. because I think that's actually always been my favorite Tori album. Mm-hmm. But I know so many like it's not my it's not my favorite of her uh, album. Not the favorite. I mean, I, but it's it's Most important. It's like very very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, then it, then I shouldn't feel gratified because I was going to say so many of my <laughs> militant Tori Amos fan friends. Oh, that the boys for Pele. Boys for Pele, which is, or songs which is from my the Choir favorite. Girl Hotel, or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. even. I can't believe it, but I think even, like, later stuff, there's, like, a... You know, yeah. it's that kind of intense fan that has... But, a, no, but you know, I have all of them. Of course. I have, have one of them, loved. and I love all of them. Mm-hmm. But, in, like, uh, different ways. So what does so what Under the Pink mean? I mean, Under the Pink was the first Tori album that I ever heard. Yeah. And it was the album that, when I heard it, it, like began to unlock doors mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And, like, I began wanting to write... Like, I credit Torianus with Ryan, a musical theater writer, mm-hmm. because, like, her writing was so personal and evocative mm-hmm. and daring and just in, ambitious and... Mm-hmm. Performative. And performative yeah. and sexual and, and, like, and critical and smart. Like, it just... It, it was everything that was sort of already stirring inside of me at that mm-hmm. time because I hadn't come out yet. Mm. And like it, I like I feel like that sort of helps me unlock a door toward coming out. Yeah. It helped me unlock a door toward thinking about organized religion and how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. It like it, it it like made me want to step up my. It made me want to like try to imitate her in a yeah. lot of ways as a because I was only writing fiction and sort of poetry at that time, and it just made me just think. Her music mm-hmm. like really made me mm-hmm. think and made me feel, mm-hmm. and so. I just remember, like, my cousin had given me the tape. I yeah, had the tape. The cassette tape, wow. And I, because she brought it back from Interlochen, because she was a, a student there, briefly. And then she, I, I remember the night I decided to listen to it, it was, like, late at night. Like, I was in bed. I, like, put my headphones on, and I put it on. And then the first thing I hear is... Tears on the sleeve of a man Don't want to be a boy today Tears on the sleeve of a man Don't want to be a boy today I heard the eternal footman Bought himself a bike to race like, come on. I mean, <laughs> and right I was just true. like hooked immediately from that. Yeah. It was like the most beautiful thing I'd mm. ever heard and like the truest thing I'd ever heard. Yeah. And like a, a you know, a singer, songwriter, mm. pop, rock, whatever person. And it just, and the honesty just was like such, so needed at that time. Yeah. Was like, how old were you? I was 15. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and had you been aware of her before that? No, I didn't. I had never heard of her ever. I'm, well, I take that back. I might have. No, that was at the, even that was later because I was going to say um, higher learning, but that actually came out a night later. And, and how, how old? And that was when I first heard about Liz Fair. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
How old are you, Mike? 38. 38. You're a little younger than me. So that, when you were 15, this album had been out for a couple years already. Yeah, I might I might have been 16, but I feel like I was 15, because that album came out in 94. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they're not like two years, two yeah. years. Yeah. Because, I mean, I remember, like, some of my, like, girlfriend I mean, you know, friend girls were very into Tori in high school. And I was sort of like, oh, I like musicals. That's not my thing, you right. know. And then, mm-hmm. and it was this album, um, like, that little belty part in the, like, the bridge. I was like, what? What Broadway <laughs> belt are we listening to? And they're like, it's Tori Amos. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, Little Earthquakes came second. So I listened to them out of order. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. Right, because I think... And then that, I think, was sort of brought to me as, like, the more commercial one somehow, like Little mm-hmm. Earthquakes, that it was... I think it was just because it, this was new, so that was more popular, and I'm sure right, it was right, 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 in my brain like that. But, um, uh, you know, I've never really... Um, I think I felt kind of excluded from, like... Uh, from Liz Fair and and just to randomly group all those like you know '90s female singer songwriters together that Alanis Morissette and um, Fiona Apple and all that and Tori was the one that was like my way in. So what what was the transition for you? Did 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 Liz come for you after that? No. So basically, what happened was it was like if I track sort of like my musical. Things I've been exposed yeah, to. Yeah. Oh, and even sorry, and even going backwards. Then, what were you listening to before? It was like I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. So my parents, I always was listening to like Motown yeah. and this and sort of the Philadelphia sound and like a lot of sort of '60s, '70s black soul R and B music. Mm-hmm. And so that was always in the house. That was always like around. And then like for me. I just sort of absorbed whatever was on the radio. Mm-hmm. So, like, I remember, like, the first album I ever owned was Mariah Carey Music Box. Mm-hmm. And then a hero comes along With the strength to carry on And you cast your fears aside And you know you can't survive So when you feel like hope And you'll finally see the truth that a hero lies in you. So that was like th- that, and then like you know, I remember being in like seventh and eighth grade, and like Hootie and Blowfish yeah. and <laughs> Kid Blossoms, but then also you know, like Anita Baker, or like mm-hmm. this. It was just because like also the radio was just like very different than like everything could be mixed together. Mm-hmm. And, like, you could just hear... Like, I remember, like, Bette Midler still being on the radio right. when I was, like, yeah. growing up. Yeah. So, like, I... That, it was, like, my parents' music plus whatever was on the radio. And then, yeah. like, Mariah Carey, Music Box. And then my cousin... My cousin gave me Under the Pink. That was, like, a total gateway into mm-hmm. sort of rock alternative for me, but Tori specifically, but rock alternative in general. Because then from there, like, I started learning about, like... 
Sarah McLachlan, because mm-hmm. people say, oh, if you like Tori, you should listen to Sarah McLachlan. Right. Or, oh, and then, like, Atlantis, uh, Jagged Little Pill was just coming out, yeah. and then I, like, like that, and then, like, Jewel came right after that, and then, like, oh, and then, like, just all of those women and all those bands and everything, you know, but Tori was, like, there were, Tori took up such space in my life that I actually never got into Fiona. Because there just was not was time. time. There just was not time. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I would hear a song here or there, but I never owned any of her albums mm-hmm. until, like, 2003, whenever Extraordinary Machine came out. I'm undecided about you again. I can be right that you're not here. It's double-sided because I ruined it all. But I also saved myself by never believing you, dear. So there were people like that. And then Liz Fair, I didn't, I heard the song that she had on the Hired Learning soundtrack, which mm-hmm. is a song called Don't Have Time, mm-hmm. which I didn't love at that time very much. But then I didn't discover Liz until 2003. Wow. Because that's when, like, her self-titled album came out mm-hmm. that everyone hated. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. Yeah. And I liked it well enough to go, well, let me go back and listen to mm-hmm. whatever this woman has been doing. And I got, and so I got Exile and Guy, though. heard that and I was like the same person did both of these like very different albums that I like in different ways yeah. and I just thought whoever could do that is like a genius Yeah. and so then I started doing a deep dive into her and the more I dug the more I loved because I was like oh Whip Smart is really great oh and White Chocolate Space Egg is really great mm-hmm. oh and the girly sounds that you can only get like at that time on like eBay or whatever <laughs> Yeah. That's that's amazing you know and I just was like obsessed with her Persona and like her music and her lyric writing, mm-hmm. and so she just quickly became like moved up to like under Tori, and then also Joni Mitchell. I wish I had a river so long, I would teach my feet to fly. Oh, I wish I had a river, I could skate away. Like I always call I call her the mother, I call Liz the daughter, and I call Tori the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) So like and I had sort of had been (laughs) absorbing Joni from high school all the way through the point when I found Liz Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So the three of them just became like heavy on heavy, 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 heavy rotation for me. And along this Way was the musical theater stuff simultaneous for you in terms of the f- listening as a fan? So I, what like as a kid was like in musical theater mm-hmm. stuff in Detroit, like in children's theater and stuff. Yeah. So like I liked musicals, my, and then my mom would also take me to see things. So I remember when I was thirteen, 
I went and saw the 94 revival of Showboat mm-hmm. on the national tour yes. that came to Toronto. You talked about that in that yeah. great, um, that book that came out about the Playwrights yeah, yeah, yeah. production of A Strange Loop. Um, and, um, and that production was kind of controversial. I mean, did you, um, were you aware of that? I, there was like a lot of groups protesting it. Um, I think... So the one that Elaine Stritch was in? Yeah. I think, I mean, they, I know, like, they didn't say, like, the N-word. It had been, like, adapted, you know? So, but I guess just the portrayal of people of color at that time was, you know... It was... I don't know what, I, why that was... Um, I mean, I had no awareness of that yeah. at all. Like, there was no internet. And yeah, I was, like, right. in Canada watching yeah. it. I mean, I guess I can say that, like, the thing... For me, Showboat is still one of my favorite yeah. scores of all time. And I and I will also say that like it was important for me to see that show because it it was one of the things that ultimately would would be why I would become a musical theater writer later because I remember actually seeing the portrayal of Julie in Showboat and feeling the like injustice of mm-hmm. her char- the yeah. way her character was treated. Fish gotta swim, birds gotta fly. I gotta love. It was amazing that a musical could tackle like a topic yeah. that was important, and specifically tackle a, a topic that had to do with like a black person. Mm-hmm. Which is funny, and it's so. And I've never really gone back to think about this, but like in my thirteen-year-old mind, when I saw Showboat, I didn't see her story as like a tragic mulatto. I mm-hmm. thought like this black woman is being treated very badly by the world, yeah. and I thought that was what the point. And now I'm sure Edna Ferber might not have totally had a lot of consciousness yeah. about that and I don't know what how Prince's take on it mm-hmm. ultimately was like politically but I just remember like it was important for me to see a story that featured like a black woman being treated like it felt like racism was like affecting her life and mm-hmm. I found that to be like upsetting yeah but like powerful that it was in a musical yeah and that and that ended up being I think one of the seeds that made me feel like later when I would start writing musicals that I wanted to put like important topics and yeah. issues in what I was writing and specifically ones that like were about black people. When, when did you discover the musical Raisin? Raisin came like two, I think I want to say two years later because a tour that came through Detroit. Oh, Raisin. And we saw it wow. at the Detroit Business Theater. I think it was the Fisher Theater, but it might have been one of the other ones. And it had like, it had an amazing cast. It had like Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind, and Fire was in it. Mm. And there was some other, like, I just recently found the playbill of it when I was home. Uh-huh. And there's like some other, like, I'm just like ran- celebrity kind like, of Yeah, stuff. like, uh, I think uh, Jeffrey Osborne was in it. And like, people like that, that mm. like, I was like, wow, these are amazing people. And so I saw that when I was like, for 15. Yeah. And that one was like really, really important. Did you know the play? I did know the play. I'd never seen the movie. I hadn't read the play at that time. Although I think I might have read it right after that in in school. In in, Mm -hmm. in high school. And uh, I was just struck by the songwriting and the orchestrations and the voices. Uh, Because like Joe Martin 
who is on Scandals, played mm. Walter Lee, and he has like an incredible oh, wow. like tenor voice that like the kind of tenor voice that you just don't hear anymore. Stand up, fouled up, nowhere people, nowhere faces, running and racing to nowhere places. You ride on buses, you push and you squeeze just to get to work down on your knees. Jammed up, fouled up, nowhere people, nowhere faces, running and racing to nowhere faces. Was he, um, uh, what's her name's father on Scandal? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, Debbie Allen was in it, wow. and Ralph Carter from Good Times was in it. Hey, as Debbie, Debbie Allen was in the original production. Of Raisin. Not, not the one. Sorry, not the one I saw. Gotcha. No, I'm sorry, forgive me. Like, the cast album. You mm-hmm. know, it's, I mean, I... Because I, I made my mom... That was the other thing. It's like whenever I would see these shows, I would make my mom buy me yeah. the original cast album mm-hmm. of it. Or, or And I just, like, fell in love with the shows even more mm-hmm. from that. So, like, I... Like the, I don't know, I don't have their main memories of the production of Raisin, yeah. but the show, I love the music so much sure. that mm-hmm. the cast album became the experience of right. watching the show. Right. For I me. downloaded it after, I don't know if it was in that book or some other interview mm-hmm. where I, I saw you talking about it. And, you know, I, I, and I haven't really gotten to like sit and listen to it yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I know the play, but it's, um, it's, I feels like this like little gift like that, that you're giving people that like I feel like people have written that show off and it sounds like it needs it's, to be it's, rediscovered it's, it does it's tricky because so it, it actually won the Tony in 1974 for best musical mm. um, and I think some of the actors were nominated yeah um, and it's like and then they actually just did a production of it at Astoria Performing Arts Center last year or the year before that that was really a powerful production and the thing about it is that the show was it, it makes the case for why to add music to it. Because you might think, like, why would someone musicalize Raising the Sun? But I think they actually found a way to take some of the themes and, like, make some incredible songs. And one of them is this, like, amazing, amazing song called Not Anymore that's all about sort of, like, covert racism, like, liberal mm. sort of covert mm. racism. Not anymore, not anymore. No, we don't do we are so polite we never ride at night no we don't do that not anymore the irony in it is so like mm-hmm. on point and I used wow. to listen to it on repeat and like dance around my basement like when I like would hear it because I thought it was just such a brilliant sort of excavation of a topic that you wouldn't think would be in a musical theater song. Yeah. And I love it. Like, to this day, it's so good, and it's so well-performed, it's so well-orchestrated. Like, there's just... And, like, it's just the thing that's tricky I found out is that, like, there's some rights issues oh. with the estate or something, mm-hmm. which is why like there's the never been... Estate. I think so. There's yeah. something... All because all the, her ex husband was like one of the book writers. Oh, okay. there's something. Something is up where mm-hmm. they can't do a first class production of it, but mm-hmm. they can do. God, that's tours. Not interesting. So yeah, I don't, I and I, I've up. actually met the people like in charge of trying to make that happen, and I know that they're like trying to make Good. figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so I hope people do get to to see it. I don't know if it should be like on Broadway because there are things about it that you know, are dated, like, just as a, a musical art, are dated that I think it might be weird to 
put in the commercial space yeah. like that, but it should at least be like an encore. Yeah, music. for sure. sure yeah. I mean, musicals are so weird that or way. Or like somewhere like the Keen Company should do it. Or like right. some small, it should yeah. be somewhere where people in New York can well, see it. Well, couldn't Lincoln Center do it? I mean, they don't, not everything they do has to be a, like, it's now that's Now that's actually interesting given that like they're constantly doing things that are like so old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That like are dated. Is it set it would, could in the seventies or is it so? The it's set time? in the. It's set in the, the same time period, the fifties. Yeah. But the sense of the musical sensibility uh, is very seventies. Yeah. Which might also I think contribute to some of the. I I think if I were in charge of, like that would contribute to some of the tension yeah. of why it might be weird to play on Broadway. Yeah. Because you kind of would be like, what? Yeah. Like, what is... Like, right. where exactly does this live? Mm. And I just think it needs to be somewhere where it can just sort of be seen... Yeah. And, like, and performed really well. Yeah. But maybe that can be embraced. I mean, instead of... I mean, I speaking of company, one of the things I don't like about the new production is how it's been, like, the sound has been updated. And to me, what... So much what I love about that original cast album is that 70s sound. That's right. And I... I like it as a period piece, and I, you know, I... I agree. And these revivals, in different ways, for different reasons, have not made that choice to embrace that, and I, to I me, that's, you know... Yeah. Um, I mean, I think of it almost more like... But who sings like that anymore? Everyone's had it trained out of them. Mm. But even if the words. vocals are, are, are different and don't have that rawness, like, yeah. still, the orchestrations could sound... That's like, true. You know, I, like, was... In, I was furious when they took the percussion yeah. out of the Royal Esparza one. I mean, I was, I mean, how dare you? At least you that take... one, though, there was a whole thing going on with the musical sound of that show that was sort of even beyond the issue of where they were right. setting company. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. it was for its own reasons, whether we liked them or not. It was, you know, but I mean, the the other revival and well, anyway, but um, but so but. Going on to that, though, because I know Sondheim was a big thing for you, too. When did that come in? So, Sondheim, I wasn't aware of him until I saw the movie of West Side Story, Mm -hmm. which a friend of our family's gave me a copy of it as a gift for some reason. Mm -hmm. And I, like... I was like, oh, this is going to be stupid, like, gangs and fighting. Yeah. Like, I was like, what is this? And then I sat and watched the film, and I, like, just loved it so much. Yeah. I just loved, like, the scope of it and the songwriting. And so, like, that's when I first became aware of Sondheim just as a writer. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't really become aware of him again until I went to college. Mm-hmm. And, like, a friend of mine was... Like, I think I went to somebody's dorm room and we all were watching, like, Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, classic. On, like, classic like, story. Like, on VHS. And, yeah. like, and, it was, and I think that's, like, when I even was like, oh, Bernadette, there's someone named Bernadette Heaters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and then, like, I, like, would, and then at that time, you could go to Tower Records and, like, there would be a whole musical theater section. Right. And, like, and one day, I remember, I just went there and I, like, had all this disposable income I'd seen <laughs> at, this time, at that time. And I just, like, bought... A little night music company. Pacific Overtures. I, I just bought literally every Sondheim show that was there. Yes. Just so that I could listen, go and listen to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then, like, I just spent a lot of time just sitting, listening to those cast albums and, like, sort of marveling at his craftsmanship. Yeah. Which one was your favorite? Uh, Follies. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so, I mean, if on one hand you're, you're marveling at his craftsmanship mm-hmm. and you're having an experience of, um, 
showboat, you know, and to a different extent maybe raisin of, like, shows that can actually tackle, you know, important things that are not just for, I don't know, entertainment's sake. Right. How is that intersecting with the inspiration you're taking from Tori and Liz Fair and, like, the, um, what, what, what do they bring to that? Well, because they both were writing very sort of first-person accounts of their lives Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, um, and doing it with, like, little to no filter, Mm -hmm. and um, I just gravitated toward that sort of excavation of self, Mm -hmm. and I was just, and, you know, I was writing fiction and poetry before I began writing plays or musicals and so I the minute that I like started listening to Tori's music I went into an imitation phase Mm. where like all my poems suddenly turn into attempts to like write my version of Under the Pink or Little Earthquakes or Boys from Pele you know even though I didn't fully have a grasp of technique or or what she was doing as a writer I just was I felt the need to try to imitate it and musically as well because I was like playing piano and like improving and like I said played piano at church for the choirs and and so I was constantly improving and trying to make up tunes that felt like it was like a Tori Amos song. I did, did you know how good did you know how great of a project that was for you? I mean like if you could go to like a little baby Michael Jackson mm-hmm. and be like, oh kid, you're so talented. You've got such a future ahead of you. I want you to do these, ass- like the way Oscar Hammerstein famously did to Sondheim with these assignments. It's almost like you gave yourself I, that. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I, but I like didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. But I think that that was good. Yeah. Like I would, I would just let my baby self just do what he was doing Mm -hmm. because it was all just about finding a sound Mm -hmm. finding like what my my interests were in the stories and poems I was writing and like just continuing to write I kept I would write about the same things over Mm -hmm. and over and over was it coming from a place of pleasure you enjoyed writing them I did I mean because I didn't have a career ambition mm-hmm. at that point, and so it was just for myself. So I would get up in the mornings before school, like wow. practically every day, and I would just sit at the piano and I would like either try to play Tori songs specifically because I made my dad buy me all of her piano books, yeah, or I would just sit there and improv my own things, or mm-hmm. I would like write a poem thinking it would be like a lyric, yeah. And like try to put music to it, yeah. But I didn't understand song form as a as a thing mm-hmm. at all. So I was just like just trying. I was just trying anything and everything, and it was like just an outlet. You weren't sharing this with anyone. It was all just no. Well, I would share poems and stuff at school because mm-hmm. I was taking a creative writing class, mm-hmm. and I had a really great creative writing teacher. And we also had this program called Inside Out, that is a nonprofit that would bring professional writers into schools so that uh, students could, A, see writing as an outlet, but also see it as potentially a career opportunity and not just a hobby. Mm -hmm. So I also worked with writers and residents in my school, and then there was one writer, this guy named Peter Marcus, who did a writing workshop out of his house in downtown Detroit. So me and some other people I went to school with, we also took that writing workshop. And so that everything was... I was constantly creating on my own mm-hmm. or with a teacher or with like a 
a teaching artist mm-hmm. for all of my high school, for all four years of high school. And it seems like a strange loop brings together so many of these different mm-hmm. things that, that you mm-hmm, were sure. finding out how to do and finding that you loved. Do you think at the time, if you could have, in a time machine, gone to a performance of A Strange Loop, would you have, or if could you have envisioned a show like that? Obviously not the actual content, but like... Would you have thought a musical could be that in your in your young mind? Definitely not, because I just thought, like, I just thought musicals, well, I mean, maybe. I mean, it just, musicals to me at that time were just whatever you put in front of me. Yeah, sure. So, like, I heard that there was, I saw a tour of Rent mm-hmm. when I was 16 or 17. Yeah. Like, that came to Detroit and like that was the thing that I and I'd seen it on Rosie O'Donnell and like Neil Patrick Harris was doing like the LA version I believe and he sang Mm -hmm. uh, we're living in America (laughs) like he sang it on Rosie O'Donnell and I was like ooh there's this cool show called Rent that's on Rosie O'Donnell and it's coming to Detroit and I like begged my parents to like buy me a ticket to see you know what I mean mm-hmm. so like I didn't I had no taste at yeah. all like I just was like absorbing whatever was in front of me right for the last time I am not on Ozempic I made one little joke on this podcast and everybody started calling me out texting me calling me cringe whatever I really was asked by people if I was on Ozempic and as I told them I am not. I am just eating factors, no prep, no mess meals, okay? Warmer, sunnier days are coming. Fire Island season is here. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. And kitchen time is kept to a minimum. They are ready in two minutes. No shopping, no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or just simply to eat well-balanced. Head to factormeals.com slash giantsinthesky50 and use code giantsinthesky50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code giantsinthesky50 at factormeals.com slash giantsinthesky50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Are there shows from that time? I mean, I certainly have the <clears throat> that that I loved because of why you said being young and having no taste and yeah. believing in whatever was in front of me. Mm-hmm. But that now I'm like, I can't believe I like know every word to the Goodbye Girl. Like, how is that my journey? Uh, so I so I remember. Well, I don't know. Like I every I loved everything. I mean, yeah. well, I'll take it. I'll take it back. We the same weekend that my mom and my grandma saw Showboat, we saw Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. And Phantom of the Opera was interesting in that I did not enjoy it as a theater piece. Yeah. I remember sitting in the theater and being like 13 and being like, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, like yeah. There's something about it as a, a story that I couldn't quite follow. Mm-hmm. But I liked the music. So mm-hmm. like when I bought the cast, the original cast album, um, I would listen to the, I loved listening to it just as yeah. songs and songwriting. <clears throat> but just as a story, it never spoke to me. Whereas, show though, like the whole thing, I was so impressed by the like the fact that it was like throughout history, and then yeah. like and the legit singing, it was happening, and the the, yeah. the funny songwriting and the lyric writing and everything about it, I just was totally blown away. Funny that they were both uh, directed by Hal Prince, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, although I didn't know that at the time, and then like. Uh, my mom took me to see Miss Saigon. In mm. Miss Saigon, I, again, I think there were some things about the story that I responded to, just because it has, like, a lot of action, adventure, yeah. kind mm. of Vietnam. Like, there was just a lot happening. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I really liked the music, but I do know that, like, when I bought the cast album for that, and I would listen to it. There were things in it that felt odd to me, but I couldn't put my finger on yeah. what was odd about it. But I would listen to it, and like I know those songs pretty well. Yeah. Um, but it it it's something that didn't age well in my right. sure like in my the way that I love a lot of these musicals. Mm-hmm. So, but like I but I remember like I enjoyed the experience of watching it when I saw it. Yeah. I mean, and then uh, I never went to see it ever again. Like I did, yeah. like the revival happened. <laughs> no, I did not see it. it. It's not like, yeah. and especially like once all the issues around like yellow face and that yeah. sort of stuff. I was just like, oh, this is like, I'm I'm not like I'm not interested in this. Right. Really. Yeah. What um, the the other influence that I just kept thinking musically uh, watching Strange Loop was Bill Finn. Mm-hmm. Was that part of your so Bill's work? I didn't know about until college when a, f- a, f- a friend of mine who I went to school with exposed me to In Trousers, mm-hmm. which I to this day is my favorite favorite favorite, favorite Bill favorite. Finn thing of all time. Looks busy in this kitchen and my breakfast isn't ready and my stomach aches. I mean specifically the maid who was reclining like she's laid the golden egg. I want some chatter and some gruel. Make me want to drool. Try to make me hungry. Oh. Cat got your tongue? Martin always knows that sort of answer's still alive. I may be sly here, but not young. Wait until I'm older and I'll kill you with this one unspoken And then, like, I listened to Falsettos and Falsetto Land um, after that. And then when I went to, applied to grad school, Elegies was happening. Mm-hmm. Or, like, it just happened. Mm-hmm. And um, I bought the, the cast album for that. 
and like spelling. And then like when I was in school, he did spelling bee, and he was a teacher of mine at school. Oh, so right, like, oh, wow. NYU graduate. So I, I became, like, and he was a teacher who really nurtured me in the beginning. Mm. We did have like a one dark moment, but like he, he really encouraged me to keep doing what I was doing because mm-hmm. when I came into the program at NYU, grad musical theater writing, I did not know how to write lyrics at all. So like they, they start everybody off at the, at least at that time. I don't know if they do this, do it this way now. Uh, like they teach you how to write lyrics if you're mm-hmm. a book writer, which yeah. is what I went into the program as. Yeah. And I and like my lyric writing which was an extension of the sort of poems and short stories mm-hmm. I had been writing throughout middle school and high school and then somewhat during college, although in college I was more focused on playwriting, it, it, they were just as personal as they had been back mm-hmm. then. And so, and, and, but it, they weren't formed. Yeah. And Bill saw that, but like just encouraged me to keep mm-hmm. doing, keep at sure. it because he liked where I was writing from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he's, like, also a personal writer. Right. And so I just, like, kept doing that while going to my lyric tutorial classes and, like, learning formally how to write a verse, a chorus, an A, a B, like, and understanding song form. Well, you had so much to bring to the table. I mean, to be a composer and a playwright and a poet, you, that's, you couldn't come into lyric writing anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Although again, I I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, like I was just doing it, and I was, and I feel fortunate enough that the program wasn't a place where they were like constantly wrapping your mm-hmm. knuckles. At least mm-hmm. my year, I was yeah. there. Like they were like explore, try it, mm. and then they give you feedback and critiques or whatever. But like I was very much encouraged to keep doing it. And so then what ended up happening was at the end of the toward the end of the first year, I was in a class with Mike Reed who is the chair of our department, Sarah Schlesinger's collaborator. The, the Ballad of... He, ballad ballad of, of, of Little Joe. Little he also Joe, wrote yeah. the song, I Can't Make You Love Me, that oh, Tony wow. Wright yeah. sings. So he said, if you're a lyricist who's never written music and you want to try it for this one assignment or vice versa, go for it. So by that point, I, had un- I understood song form enough that the musical ideas that had been percolating since I just was like improving in middle school and high school had somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. So I decided to try to write my own song for that class. And then the song that came out of that was Memory Song from oh, A Strange wow. Hilton Shane, Jesus name, church every Sunday. These are my memories, these are my memories. Eat his body, drink his blood, communion buffet. These are my memories, sweet sour memories. After church, we're driving home to Radio Crackle. Jazz wheels at the Motown Blues and skin is a shackle. The one lone black gay boy I knew who chose to turn his back on the Lord. One lone black gay boy I knew who chose to turn his back on the Lord. But at that time, it was, it was an early draft of it, but like it was just a standalone song mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And I was encouraged. I played it for the class and people liked it. Yeah. And I was encouraged to continue writing my own music even though for my thesis project I was going to be paired with a composer. Right. Um, and so I just kept writing music for myself just on the side mm-hmm. while working on my thesis project with my collaborator, Rachel. And it, is that... Is Rachel the one you're writing White Girl in Danger with? Is that No, I'm writing White Girl in Danger on Oh, okay. But you do have another project. Uh, I have a teeth with Anna K. Jacobs. Okay. 
And that that's a musical also. That's a musical and I'm writing book and co-book and lyrics. Co-book and lyrics. Wait, that's not based on the movie. It's teeth. based on the movie. Oh, it is? Yeah. Cool. About the vagina with teeth? Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> I mean, uh, it feels to me so much like you're a... Um, uh, you represent this, like, coming together of all these different strands. And, and even, you know, when I think in musical theater, like, the influence of the singer-songwriters, you know, and the personal... Um, Story that well, I forgot how you phrased it very well, but about making a song personal in that kind of way that the singer songwriters do, you can hear that certainly in like Jason Robert Brown and like all these things. But I feel that where that becomes problematic in a lot of those people's, if not individual songs necessarily in the shows, a strange loop doesn't suffer from that. It seems more integrated in a way where that that that's part of the the storytelling vocabulary of the songs but 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 the show is not dragged down it feels very um i don't i think my problem with a lot of like the jason robert brown era is that there's a lot of like the songs come out and tell you something that already happened and mm-hmm. it's you know and and strange loop doesn't feel that way at all it feels so alive mm-hmm. so a strange loop is <sighs> thank you for saying that um and i think that what i how, what i would attribute that to is that I studied playwriting first mm-hmm. and then I started writing lyrics mm. and then I started learning writing music and so when I approach songwriting I approach it as a playwright mm. and so the thing that became very important to me about A Strange Loop which has its own long developmental history yeah. was that I it was very important to me that it not be like a cabaret Mm-hmm. And that it not, and that it not even be like oh. passing strange, which I consider to be an influence on yeah, her. Yeah. That like I wanted it to to feel like it was a story. Yeah, e- I'll, even though there would be like moments of direct address, and there will be sort of, you know, moments that are not as book musically as say something like Gypsy mm-hmm. but like I, I, it was just very important to me that it had its own kind of playwriting integrity to yeah. it mm-hmm. and so the and, and just in developing it over the years I kept on trying to make sure that there was a true formal structure to it and that it obeyed its own rules and that there were consequences and that the character had a rising action and that like and that he wanted something, although it was a kind of abstract thing, but that like there's a reversal and the recognition. I, I wanted all the things that are that you learn about in playwriting, mm-hmm. and I knew that like the songs had to be in support of that, and they couldn't just be like step forwards, park and bark kind of. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that you bring up Passing Strange because it's a better example in a way uh, for a counter or for you know a better counter example than the. Jason Robert Brown shows or whatever because Passing Strange works so well on its own terms. It's a great piece, but it isn't uh, a play in the way that it's Yeah, like it's it's more, it's like, because there's like a narrator and Stu, like it's the, or MC, and it's a beautiful, like I love it. Like I saw it twice and I like, I loved it. Yeah. Um, But I I still wanted, I wanted to go a little bit further formally Mm -hmm. with A Strange Loop. For that reason, because yeah. I also didn't want 
to to just be compared to it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like I felt like it formally had to complete the gesture of what it was. So that was like an important part of the developing the piece. When I mean with all these I mean it's funny even to have Jagged Little Pill come up because mm-hmm. in fact that's coming to Broadway. Right. Like with uh, this current climate of just like people bringing things to Broadway albums or pop songwriters writing shows or being jukebox shows or whatever it is if you look back on Liz Fair and Tori Amos or anyone else you want to include in that group do you think any of them or which of them I mean I know Tori's written an opera um, but it was a musical oh is it a musical yeah yeah, The White Princess oh wow have you seen Mm -hmm. it I haven't seen it but I've listened to it are you into it if you don't mind me asking um I well I will always be a fan of Tori's instinct to try something. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that she has musical, like, she's a true artist and a true musician. Mm-hmm. I feel like, just based on what I listened to in the album, um, in the cast album for that, that she and her collaborator, but particularly in the music, she's writing what she thinks a musical should be. Mm-hmm. And not really and I think that like even just the source material is not as interesting as it could have been given like what she normally writes about and Mm -hmm. I just wish that there was some I wish that somehow someone could have zapped me into into like her impulse to write a musical to like guide to like suggest that she made that she can actually take more risks yeah and what she was making and like and try and like and, and, and not sort of um, feel like I've got to put on my musical theater writer right. right now and like obey these rules which she does a good job of researching and like mm. trying to do do that but I just don't think that it plays to her strengths it's, I mean it's that whole idea of musical theater as a genre that's, right. that's so tricky yeah. um, but, it's, but I think it's one of the things that makes writing musicals difficult because yeah. like even even if you're not Torian is trying to do that you you're always trying to, especially right. when you have a collaborator, mm-hmm. you're always trying to figure out what's the like alchemy, yeah, and what's yeah, the yeah. and what and how do the two of you work together, yeah. And so, I I personally like if she ever wants to write a musical again because I know she took it very seriously and it yeah. was very hard, and I think she's even trying to get it to come to America. Right. But I would just advise her to to write something that's like that means as much to her as one of her albums mm. and find a collaborator yeah. who can both sort of work within her musical structures but also sort of like help shape the story. Would you, would you be up for that? I don't know that... I mean, I... I mean, depending on what it was about. Sure. Because the, the other thing that like I learned with Tori over the years is that like as she got older... I've gotten older. Right. And so, like, I don't know that we care about the same things mm, in the world, wow. mm. even though she very much influenced me as an artist, as a person. So, like, we might we might not make ideal collaborators. Yeah. But, like, I, I just have such love and respect for her as a musician and an artist that I would just hope that she could do something that, in my opinion, is more in... That's more in the gnarlier place that her albums mm-hmm. tended to come out. Come, I mean, it is a strange on. thing when you think about these artists. I mean, I think about it a lot in terms of, of writers and, and singers, too, in a way, like or singer-songwriters that, like, 
that the the conflict that maybe draws them to great work or you know propels them to mm-hmm. great work when the great work is met with rightful success mm-hmm. it changes their lives in a way yes they become they millionaires right? <laughs> yeah. they become like multi-millionaires yeah. who live like extremely comfortable lives yeah. Yeah. and they're maybe not as hungry anymore and yeah. suddenly yeah. like I would say that even like I like my friend Dan Fishbacker and I are constantly arguing about Tori's mm-hmm. later albums yeah I love her unconditionally yeah. but the thing that I that I that is also true is just that like she she does I think because her life is such so comfortable, she's like removed from the scrappiness of like of where she came from of like mm. and so I think her questions she's now in the sort of phase of her career where she's kind of like delivering wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's very and yeah. and it's not like it doesn't feel like why do we crucify ourselves? Right. Like that's it's yeah. a different Right. She's in a she's fu- and 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 God bless her for right. like not being in like an unhappy depressed like place. She like mm-hmm. she was very unhappy for yeah. most of those years that I loved her music yeah. so much. So I'm happy for her to be in that place, and I think that she is an, still an incredible songwriter regardless. Yeah. But there is like a marked difference between what she not just what she was writing about, but how she does it, mm-hmm. um, and the song structures are more complex but they also like sometimes are not as tight mm-hmm. um, as like her early songwriting but like but she's also like interested in different things but it's she's also like super comfy well also with, with someone like Tori whose work was so personal mm-hmm. it makes it really takes a lot it changes things a lot for her not to be in pain like that yes whereas yes, yes. you know I mean part of the you know I, I don't have the wor- that worry for you uh, because I think no matter how much success uh, and happiness you have in your personal life, I see you as someone who's who is so um, plugged in to what's going on politically and and socially for the rest of the people in the world, and and that seems to be a part of what your work is about. Yeah, I think that that's true. I mean, I, I guess I would phrase that in that. I I also it's important to me as an artist and as a writer in particular to always challenge my own assumptions mm-hmm. and biases because and that became very true for me while I was working on a strange loop because I even I like was because I had to because like I had to think about like what a strange loop's relationship to the world was as it was changing. So, like, yeah. the seed of a strange loop I began, that came during the Bush era. Mm-hmm. Like, George W. Bush's yeah. era. And, like, and then, like, Obama was elected. And, like, and I was still working on it. And then, like, the point when it sort of ended up moving toward production was when Trump was in office. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then, like, other people's assumptions about what a strange loop is in the context of that... Yeah. I think shape how they look at it in some ways even though that's not how I look at it and because I was aware that that's how some people looked at it I knew that I had to be very specific about what I was doing sort of in resistance to that because like my piece has nothing to do with Trump right and so it meant that I was like I had to really think about what are the core questions that I'm asking myself that are 
are like, regardless of what's happening, like this mm-hmm. is what it's about. Yeah. And so I started rewriting around those questions for myself. So things that had existed in the piece for like a long time began to change. This was like up before, like in the year from Clarets announcing they were going to do mm-hmm. it to we us actually going into rehearsal. And so thing. They were not gigantic things, right. but like they were key things that like I started changing to sort of respond to the world's response. Mm-hmm. But it has that varnish to it. I mean, I think that will yeah. make the piece uh, age very well I because hope so. it's not it's it, it it's about more humanity, kind of mm-hmm. like eternal. Well, it's about the and, self. Yeah, it's about I the the thing I would always would tell people in interviews and stuff and and, and the marketing of it was that like I wanted people to walk away from this piece thinking about what it can be to be a self in general and a black queer self in particular Mm -hmm. and that both of those things are happening simultaneously in the piece Mm -hmm. so to me I hope that that will contribute to the quote unquote timelessness of it because Mm -hmm. it's it it invites you to think about what it feels like to be a person yeah Mm -hmm. In your in whatever identity you're in, yeah. Do do you have a desire to write something, not necessarily about Trump, but you know, I, I know so, as an audience goer, you know, yeah. I I have a hunger now for I want something to, you know, things that might have felt off putting to me five years ago. Mm-hmm. I want now. I want to be like washed clean from you know from this. I want. So I want to I shed guess, my my liberal uh, bullshit, so I guess, you know. But I guess, like, my response to that is that, like, whatever, if I were to do that, the thing I would do would not wash you clean. Well, it sure. Would do but, the opposite. But no, but maybe wash clean is the wrong word, because I, I guess I do understand that. I want to, I, I, I just want to feel that. Um, so, the, the closest thing I have to that is I have a commission for a musical from LCT3 mm. that's called Accounts Payable. Mm. And accounts sounds, payable sounds stressful for me. <laughs> so accounts payable was something that was commissioned right before Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. So I'm like long overdue for this mm-hmm. to finish this piece. But it when I, when I first started writing, and it's it's loosely based on the time I spent working as an accounts payable clerk at a ad agency, yeah. which I did for four and a half years, mm-hmm. and. Initially, it was just going to be sort of about that. Yeah. Or not that, not that, but like the, what's it, an office, just set in an office, mm-hmm. right? But the over the years of me like tooling around with working on it and thinking about like what my experience was of working in that place and how I felt about sort of the racism that like was I encountered in the office mm-hmm. and like the pressures of capitalism and all the, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. The, and like, and then the world changing because Trump was elected. I, the piece is not actually in response to Trump. It's in response to people's response to Trump. Oh, interesting. And so I moved the piece from being set in the present to being set 20 years in the future. Mm-hmm. And so it's still just set in the office. It looks just like it's, there's nothing futuristic looking yeah. about it. But what happens is the world has gotten, like, even more nuts 20 years from now. and But these people are still, like, in this office trying to get raises and, yeah. and doing their annual performance reviews. Mm. And meanwhile, this robot comes to work with them. 
because one of their coworkers quits because mm-hmm. the pressure is too much. And this robot looks just like them. It sounds just like them. But it can just work all day and all night. It doesn't need breaks. It doesn't need vacations. It doesn't have to go to the bathroom. It doesn't need to eat. Mm-hmm. It's just programmed to, to just do the paperwork and do the accounts payable. And, like, and it slowly starts to sort of take over. But meanwhile, these people are all fighting amongst each other for, like, scraps. Yeah. Which, yeah. to me, feels like, no. Wow. Right. Which is, has everything to do with Trump, but nothing to do with Trump. Yeah. It has everything to do with Obama, and nothing to do with Obama. It has yeah. everything to do with George Bush, George W. Bush, and nothing to do with George Bush. Like, it has to do with, like, what is America? And what are right. we all scrabbling? Like, we're all scrabbling for our little piece. Mm-hmm. But who has everything? Mm-hmm. And the pressure continues to bear down and bear down and bear down. That, to me, feels like my response to the uh, thing that you're describing, in my opinion. That, that's thrilling to think about. I mean, it's, you know... Um, I mean, sure whether I do it well or not, I don't well, know. But I'm, I'm sure certainly going to try. It's taken me a very long time. To, it's taken me much longer to, I mean, to get even a draft of it mm-hmm. out than anything else I've done. But. You have a very strong... I mean, in addition to it, you know, uh, I think a very open-hearted... Uh, vision, you also have a very healthy skepticism, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to the sort of liberal bullshit. And I, I think you posted something that made me laugh of like, you know, people showing pictures of like George Bush and Michelle Obama it's holding hands. Disgusting. You know, like, the good old days. So, with that, do you think, and it, this will just fry my brain because I'm sure it, it is possible, I'm thinking about it in terms of that play, mm-hmm. like, is there a horrible future where people look back on Trump with those sort of rose-colored well, I, glasses? Maybe because, like, what if there's someone who's like way worse, worse than him? Yeah. yeah, and they'll say, "Oh, those halcyon days <laughs> of, of the Trump era." Like, it just—it all becomes ridiculous. Like, the more you sort of like whitewash, yeah, like the um, American pre- like the, the the thing that I just have started to think about with politics is like. I have, like, my candidate that I support in the Mm -hmm. primary and whatever, and I'll support the Democratic person and the general and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But the thing that, like, I just have been thinking a lot about is that we don't talk enough about what the presidency actually is. Right. That, like, it's like an office that's, like, incredibly powerful. And, like, the people, and in some ways, the people who are in it are immaterial because the thing itself can be is so destructive yeah and like you know so like yes like I I prefer to have anyone other than Trump in that office but I also wish that we could go maybe we need to make this office less powerful right yeah for sure sure. so that like it's not every four years we're like freaking out because some person yeah can just go into this extremely Mm -hmm. powerful office and like move the gears and lever and power mm-hmm. around and change everything so drastically. Yeah. You know? And so I don't know how America can have that conversation, but because I'm just like, every whoever wins will be that powerful. Yeah. Right? And like, what do they do with all of that power? Right. And like, sometimes, it reminds me of that movie War Games, where at the oh, end, yeah. the kid is like, the, ans- the computer is like, the answer is not to play. Mm. And that's just how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's just like, there's just so, the United States, 
wages so much war and destruction and like all over the place just even by accident right right. (laughs) let alone if you're like a you know a person who's like a really good person and like and we're relying on like the best most smartest most whatever person to be in the office that's like just will give millions of dollars to like an evil country yeah just because yeah and I so I get worried about things like that for sure. That's a very good worry. Um, all right, so we have to let you go, but in the um, uh, we play a stupid game with all our guests that is okay. especially stupid in the context of this conversation. But it's along the lines of Mary Fuck Kill, mm-hmm. and the game is Dolly Concert Kill. And so we'll give you three performers, and you'll choose which one to see as Dolly Levi and Hello Dolly, which one to see in concert, and which one to kill. So I think we have to do... Um, uh, Tori, Liz, and and Judy Collins. Uh, Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell, yeah. Tori as Dolly. In the concert, Liz, and then we kill Joni. I don't kill want Joni. Joni to have to waste her time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Thank you're you. Thank you so much, Thank Michael. You so much you want to check this. out Strangely with Casper. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, please order on broadwayrecords.com broadwayrecords.com buy the CD yes please Thanks for listening to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. For more episodes, visit Broadway World, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts do be. <laughs> Come back next week for Broadway star Telly Leon coming in to chat about Patti LuPone Live. Other upcoming guests include legendary columnist Michael Musto, cabaret goddess Natalie Douglas, and Tony Award-winning lyricist and director Scott Whitman. This episode was edited by me, Daniel Nolan. Thanks to Emmy-winning composer and lyricist Lance Horn for the Broken Records theme song. Follow us both, Ben Rimmelauer and Daniel Nolan, on all y'all's socials. That's Ben Rimmelauer. B-E-N-R-I-M-A-L-O-W-E-R. And that's Nolan with an E, not Nolan with an A. Because Nolan with an A is an A. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.